The last few weeks, we've been looking at our church's vision, which is move beyond. We've, our mission statement, or our mission rather, not just a statement, it's our mission as Clarksburg Baptist Church, is that we are striving together uh, to become more and more like Jesus. And in order to do that, we constantly need to be on the move. So wherever we are in our faith, we, we always want to be moving beyond that particular point to some new level in our faith, some new level in our service, some new level in our dedication. We want to move beyond. We've looked in the past few weeks about moving beyond just belief, just what you say to action. In other words, that you're a believer that doesn't just say what you believe, but you actually act out what you believe. We talked about when we come to Christ and have a basic understanding of Scripture, a lot of times we never move beyond that. And that's what we want to challenge you to do, is to move beyond just a basic understanding of Scripture to a more in-depth understanding of God's Word and how you might apply it in your life. Last week, we talked about moving beyond meaningless words, about just coming to God and, and spouting out things that He already knows or telling Him what we need, but rather to devote ourselves to a more meaningful prayer life so that our prayer lives might not just be meaningless words, but rather might be powerful and effective. If you've missed any of the last few weeks, you can listen to them on our website. They're all available there. You know, today there are, there are a lot of churches that struggle getting people through the front doors. There are a lot of churches that, that really struggle with that. And for a lot of those, sometimes the, the, the primary reasons that they have trouble maybe reaching others or attracting others, it might have something to do with the appearance uh, of the place. It might have something to do with the, the people inside who are not very friendly. It might have something to do with the, the fact that maybe the, the preaching's not very good or the music's not very good. There are all sorts of things that, that can keep people from being attracted to a particular church. And a lot of times in a particular church, if that church is not attractive to people, a lot of times you can look back and, it, and it's, it's the folks who have just not made it attractive. They've just not made an effort to make anything attractive about their, their fellowship that they would attract other people to come. However, on the other hand, there, there are lots of churches that at least have something to attract other people. And then there are churches that have all sorts of things to attract other people. And you look around just in, you know, in this area and you look around our, our, our country and you look on TV and you see all these, these big ministries and there are all sorts of things that will attract people to that particular church or attract people to that particular ministry. But those churches have another problem. They don't have any trouble attracting people. They have trouble keeping people and keeping them involved in ministry. No problem attracting them. They have lots of stuff that looks attractive. But it's keeping those people and getting them involved in ministry. And it's churches of all sizes. It's not small churches. It's large ones as well. Bill Hybels who's the pastor of Willow Creek Church in, in Chicago, a, a huge church, says in one of his books that he was looking at the statistics of all of the new people that had come to Willow Creek in the past year. And he was all excited until he turned the page and saw the statistics for all the people that had left through the so-called back door. So they were coming in, they were staying for a while, and then they were leaving. And there was no involvement, there was, there was no retention. So it's churches of all sizes. And in fact, studies have been done, books have been written, 
seminars have been done about how churches not only can attract people, but how they can keep people, and in, in, in essence, closing that back door. And some of those studies, some of those books, some of those seminars are useful. But there's one angle that I, I think they all miss. And it's one I kind of want to look at today. Do you know who had one of the fastest growing ministries of all time? I mean, it took off like that. Just attracted people left and right. People just flocked to this ministry. But this ministry had only been around a short time. And in that short year, span of short years, lost a lot of those people. Great attraction at the beginning. Just couldn't keep them. You know what ministry that was? Jesus. It was Jesus. Listen, in Luke 14, verse 25, it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. It's another place in Scripture where a lot of people were following Jesus and he turned and Spoke to them and a lot of people left just in that one instance. It's easy for us if we look at this passage or if we look at Jesus' ministry. It's easy for us to take the idea that, look, Jesus couldn't keep people. So we shouldn't be real upset because we can't. That's not what this is about. What I think we need to do is to examine Jesus' ministry. We need to examine those who followed Jesus, those who left Jesus, to find out what it was in their lives, in their following Jesus, that they could not get beyond that caused them to leave. What was it they couldn't get beyond? Let's look at Jesus' ministry. Jesus, great crowds followed him, but Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus was not impressed with the enthusiasm of the people that followed him. You need no more proof than here. Large crowds, the scripture says, are following them. So what does Jesus do? Does Jesus turn to them and say, hey, this is great. You guys are following me in ministry. No. Look, he turns to them and he says, if anyone comes after me and doesn't hate their father, mother, brother, sister, even their own lives, that's not exactly an encouraging message if you want to keep people following you. Jesus did this because he knew that the people that were following him were in no way interested in spiritual things. They were in it for what they could get out of it. They'd seen him do miracles, so they thought, well, if I follow him, maybe I'll get a miracle. They'd seen him feed people. Well, maybe if I follow Jesus, I'll get something to eat. Some thought he was going to overthrow the Roman government. So maybe if we follow him, we might have some important position when he takes power. They were all expecting the wrong things. But if you really want to sum up the whole deal in one phrase and come up with one reason why people followed Jesus, 
and what they couldn't get beyond? It's this. It was the what's in it for me attitude. That's why these people follow Jesus. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? So Jesus turns to them. And he tells them in so many words. It's not what you're going to get out of it. It's what you give to it. What you put into it. So what is it today? As we look to move beyond this what's in it for me attitude. Because quite frankly, there are a lot of folks who follow Jesus today because of what they can get out of it. There are a lot of people who come to churches because the church is, is attractive and they come because of what they can get out of it. But the message here is the same as the message that Jesus preached to them. It's not about what you can get out of it. And we need to move beyond. We need to find a way to move beyond in our churches and in our relationship with Christ to this attitude of what can I get out of it? What's in it for me? It's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong attitude then. It's the wrong attitude now. What Jesus does is Jesus turns to these people and he preaches a sermon that he knows and he's deliberate about it. He knows he's going to run half these people off. He's going to thin the herd right here. All these people that are following him, he knows when he turns around and when he tells them the truth that a lot of these people are going to leave him. But Jesus doesn't care because what Jesus is interested in is not quantity, but Jesus is interested in the quality of the followers. Because see, salvation is open to anybody. Anybody who comes to Christ can find salvation. But he says that only the true followers are those who are willing to. To pay the price. You see, Jesus shows a distinction between salvation and discipleship or being a follower and learner from Jesus. Warren Wearsby puts it this way He says, Salvation means coming to the cross and trusting Jesus Christ, while discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus Christ. He wants as many sinners. To be saved as possible. But he doesn't want those who come to him to take that salvation lightly. Because following Jesus is not about what's in it for me. It's not about all the freebies that I can get from it. What we need to move beyond is the what's in it for me to surrender and obedience. That's what Jesus is after. Surrender in obedience. So today, as we look at this challenge, we're going to look at it from the standpoint of, of our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But we're also going to look at it from the standpoint of our relationship to the church. Because when it comes to the what's in it for me, as it relates to our relationship with Christ, as it relates to our relationship with the church, it's about surrender and obedience to His will. So how do we do that? Jesus says, let's go back to verse 26. Jesus basically says that you have to love him supremely above everything else. He says in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. 
Now, the word hate here means to love less. It really does. I have a problem, though, preaching that. It's true. That's what it means. But somehow, when we see that, we say, oh, okay, well, he really doesn't mean what he says. So it takes a little bit of the bite out of it when we say, well, he doesn't mean to hate. He, he means to love less. And, and some will say, well, really what he means is that, that our love for him should be so strong that our love for other people and other things looks like hate by comparison. But I have trouble with that too because somehow both of those to me kind of just take a little bit out of it and almost kind of give us a pass on how we respond to it. Here's the way I like to look at it. When Jesus says that you need to hate, well, it's interesting because the law says that you're to honor your father and your mother. So Jesus wasn't teaching that you should hate your parents in the sense that we understand that. That would not be according to the law, and Jesus came to fulfill the law. The stress here from Jesus, though, is on the priority of love. And that's the way I look, like to look at this, that our loyalty to Jesus, our loyalty to following him, should have priority over everything else. It ought to have priority over our family. It ought to have priority over all our other relationships. It even ought to have priority over our own lives. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about we surrender our priorities to his priorities. Think about the priorities that you have in your life. Think about them. And how many of those priorities do we put above our service to Jesus? I hear people say a lot of times, I put my family first, and I understand what you mean. I really do. I really do, and I think family is important. But what Jesus is saying, you're not really going to be able to put your family first unless you put me first, because you have to put me first in order to follow what the Bible says about how you treat your family. In your other relationships, you, you say, well, I'm really close to this person and that's wonderful and you need to stay close to that person. But if you don't put Jesus above that relationship to that person, then you're really not going to, in a biblical and a godly way, be able to relate to those people. I know you mean well. And I know things are important. And I know jobs are important. And I know other relationships are important. And I know other things you do in your life are important. But, but here's what he's saying. Look, You've got to put me first. If any of these others are going to work like they should, including yourself, including yourself. There's a second thing he mentions. He says that we have to carry our cross. Verse 27 says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I love what he says. And anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me. Their cross. We each have our own cross. It's not like we come to Christ and say, 
I'm really glad he didn't give me a cross to bear. No, every one of us has one. Well, what is the cross? What is this cross that we are supposed to bear or carry? A cross is simply this. It's something that we willingly accept from God as a part of his will for our lives. Something we really willingly accept from God as a part of his will for our lives. Now, for some to carry the cross, it does mean shame. For some to carry the cross, it does mean ridicule. In some places, to carry the cross, to be a follower of Jesus, to live a Christian life, it means death. That's true. But I think for the vast majority of us, what it means is death to ourselves. It means death to our own plans, our own ambitions, and we're a willingness to follow Him is what we're all about. That as we go through our lives, that we realize that God has given to us a cross, whatever it is, and that it's something that we're to carry throughout our walk with Him. I've heard people say, well, (laughs) yeah, my cross is my noisy neighbors. That's the cross I bear. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, 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 they, they, they may be involved in the cross that God has given you to carry, but just you putting up with your noisy neighbors is not the cross you have to bear. The cross you might have to bear is to love them in spite of them being noisy, obnoxious neighbors. The cross that you might have to bear might be you going over and sharing with them. It might be you showing the love of Christ to them instead of either complaining about them, calling the police on them, yelling at them, or putting yourself inside and locking the doors. That might be the cross that you've been given to bear as it relates to your neighbors. But make no mistake, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, each one of us has been given a cross. God has a will for each one of our lives. And so he's given us a cross that we're to bear. He also says that we're to count the cost. Eugene Peterson in the message has this paraphrase of Luke 14, 28. He says, Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it. He also gives an example of a king who is going to war and talks about the king making sure he has enough men and he also talks about the importance of salt in society. Now, the usual interpretation of this is the idea that we believers... Uh, in this story are the builder and we believers are the king. That's the usual interpretation and the idea that before we follow Jesus, we need to to count the cost of of what it means to follow Jesus. But but G. Campbell Morgan has a different take on this. And, And his take is that God is the builder and God is the king, not the believer himself. Here's what he says. He says, he, meaning God, is the one who must count the cost to see whether we are the kind of material he can use to build a church and battle the enemy. Basically, 
God can't get the job done with half-hearted followers. God has a great plan. He's got this kingdom he wants to build, and he wants us to be a part of it. But God's got to look and see, look, before I build this kingdom, have I got enough stones, have I got enough followers that I can build this kingdom? There's a battle that needs to be fought for the kingdom of God, and God's got to figure out if he has enough committed followers who are really going to go into battle. Because if he doesn't, where's he going to get the material to build his kingdom? If not, where's he going to get the soldiers to fight the battle? God counts the cost to see if our hearts are dedicated to him. If we are willing to deny ourselves, if we are willing to take up our cross if we are truly committed followers of him. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to go there and he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tortured and he's going to die on a cross for our sins. So what he's saying is basically, look, I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not going to do myself. I'm not asking you any, to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. And so when he calls on us to carry our cross, when he calls on us to deny ourselves, it's not something that he calls on us to do with no plans to give us the ability to do it. Jesus says in verse 33, actually tells people they can't. He says in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus' message here, if you want to sum it up, Jesus basically says we have to, to move beyond or move on. We have to move beyond or move on. If we say we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to move beyond our priorities to his. If we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to follow his will, to do what he calls us to do. And if we can't do that, if we can't move beyond wherever we are and move beyond ourselves, and basically, Jesus is saying to us, just move on then. Just move on. Because I can't build my kingdom unless I have committed followers. I can't fight the battles unless I have committed soldiers. I can't season the earth unless I have people who are truly salt. Move beyond or move on is a harsh message. But it's one that's true. And it's one that we need to hear as God's people. I don't know what attracts you here. I'm glad you're here. I am tickled to death that you are here. God is glad you're here. But I don't want you to be one of those followers who just came here because, you know, you heard that, well, it's kind of cool. They do this or they do that. Because that attraction won't, won't last and there are plenty of other places that will attract you to something else. 
What I want you to do is, I want you to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Because if this church, or any other church, is going to change the world, it's not going to do it through numbers. It's going to do it through committed followers. You have a sanctuary full of people who are attracted here. Won't change a thing. What God is looking for are people who are committed to following Him, to giving up their own priorities for His, to carrying the cross, to doing whatever He's given them to do. How will you know? How will you know if you're on that road? How will you know that you've started to move beyond just what's in it for me? You'll know you've started to move beyond when you value Christ's approval over someone else's approval. You will know that you've moved beyond when you put, or value rather, the needs of others over your own. You'll know that you've started to move beyond when you choose obedience over respectability. You'll know that you've started to move beyond when you value the fact that you bear his name. You value that over social acceptance. You'll know that you've started to move beyond when you look at it as what you can give for the cause of Christ rather than what you can get out of it. God calls us to follow him. But following him has a cost. So we need to move beyond what's in it for me. The people who are willing to pay the price to follow Jesus. Let's pray.